need everybody with their different specialties. And more importantly, I call it their different smarts around the table because they think differently because of the discipline that they've been trained in. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Harry Levitt. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Mindy Cox from OC Tanner and Demandbase's own Becky Scarborough about building a great brand through people. So before we jump in, let's start with some quick introductions and I'll kick it off with Becky. If challenging the status quo was a person, it would be Becky. I think anybody that's worked with Becky or even spoken to Becky can attest to that. Today, she splits her time between leading our ABX strategy here at Demandbase and helping customers find a better way to get their jobs done. Prior to Demandbase, she was a four-time customer of Demandbase, helping companies of all sizes think differently about how to structure their marketing teams, campaign architecture, and creating some of the most advanced B2B MarTech stacks out there. But her real passion is around helping each and every marketer get off the traditional KPI hamster wheel and focus on the data they need to truly know if they're doing a good job. Thanks for joining us today, Becky. I love that. Thank you so much, Harry. I'm glad to be here. Of course. So next I'll move on to our main guest, Mindy. Mindy Cox works to connect people with purpose to deliver human-centered business results. As OC Tanner's Chief Marketing and People Officer, she believes an organization's potential is tied to its sense of humanity. After 24 years in sales, marketing, and as a human resource executive, she is more committed than ever to cultivating workplace cultures where individuals experience personal and professional progress. Professionally, Mindy is most proud of her role influencing the ever-evolving workplace goodness that the people of OC Tanner and their clients experience every day. And OC Tanner is a three-time Fortune 100 Best Companies to Work For honoree, so she's definitely doing a great job. Mindy, we're really excited to talk to you, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here with um, both you, Harry, and Becky as well. Thanks. Of course. So I'm really excited to get into the content today. And if you both are ready, I think we can jump right in. Jump. Cool. So the first topic that I want to get into, Mindy, would love if you could tell our listeners about your fascinating journey from chief people officer to chief marketing officer and just your career path in general, going from human resources, sales, up into the CMO role. Sure. I didn't know it was fascinating to anyone but me. So I appreciate the opportunity to share that. But I certainly have been given some great opportunities over the course of my career, which did start in sales. You know, I started as an RFP writer, you know, somebody that was responding to the deals that were coming into our company. And um, what a wonderful way to learn an organization to work with sales and specifically with bid responses. I would challenge anyone who's trying to learn what their company does, the difference it makes and how it makes money to go study an RFP response, because that's all that those companies are asking us and how we're going to deliver value in exchange for the value that they're going to provide to us. So fantastic way to learn the company. It uh, made me uh, really fascinated with our clients. I wanted to understand the problems that they were solving, which led me to marketing, I feel like quite naturally. 
And so I made a move from sales to marketing a few years into my career where I got to get really up close with clients. And, you know, one of my responsibilities was working with some of our, our best and brightest clients and, and getting into conversations with them about the difference our products and our approach was was making to them, interviewing, you know, their CEOs and CHROs and talking about the difference that they wanted to make to their people and how we could help them with that. And quite honestly, I fell in love with the difference that HR leaders were making in their companies vis-a-vis -vis our products. So got curious about HR, have a wonderful supportive organization who says, oh, if you're curious about this, come on over and learn and let's give you an opportunity to lead culture and experience in our organization. And this was kind of probably, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago when chief culture officer was kind of coming into vogue and everybody was starting to pay more attention to employee experience coming out of the recession. And it was good timing for me, quite honestly. So I came in with more of an, an eye toward developing employee experience as part of the HR team and then learned practical and operational HR by osmosis by amazing team members and eventually grew into leading that team. And so when the opportunity came up, I have a fantastic colleague who's retiring from our CMO role now. And we went on a search as a CHRO does to find a replacement and interviewed some fantastic candidates, kind of got the lay of the land. We got really clear on our expectations and requirements. And I could just feel my excitement <laughs> building with every interview of, oh my gosh, I still love to do that stuff. And so we started to have a conversation as an executive team of what would it look like if I moved over into that role? And so the more we talked about that, the more we talked about how unique our industry is in needing marketing to be informed by the insights that an HR leader needs. And so what would happen if we combined those two roles? And so fortunately for me, I have a, you know, a very trusting CEO and he said, let's try it. And, you know, the commitment from the outset is that if anyone feels like this isn't working, you get to raise your hand and we get to revisit it. But the synergies that we're experiencing right now, because I'm living as a client and then coaching a really brilliant marketing team who's trying to develop solutions for those clients has been just magical, I feel like, in the first few months. And so I'm energized by being closer to our clients again. I'm energized by having a team that is focused on solving my own problems as a CPO. And so it works. It works for our organization. And, you know, one of the brilliant things that I see so many companies have giving themselves permission to do right now is just invent what they need and not what everyone else is doing. There's not a certain number of chairs at the table. There's not a certain number of, you know, seats that have to be filled. But what does our company, what do our clients, what do our people really need? And what should we call it? Let's just figure out what's right for us. And so I think that there's a great deal of autonomy and, you know, call it what you will, permission to just reimagine what leadership looks like and what roles are essential and what makes sense for the industry you're in and the company you're trying to be. Wow. That makes so much sense. I think, especially the permission piece, you know, permission to just do the right thing or just do what makes sense. I think after the kick in the teeth that everybody lived through the past couple of years, there is this like simmering, smoldering fire of life's too short or is it really worth it kind of a, you know, just, that just hangs around. And some, and I think people have just released the burden of how we've always done it to some degree to be able to do that, to give themselves permission. And it's, I'm, I, I'm kind of fascinated by it, but 
let me ask you something about the role when you went into marketing, because I have found the best marketers on the planet came from sales, period. I did not. So that tells you something. But I do have to know, like, what kind of a marketing role did you go to? Sure. I went into a marketing communications role. So, you know, my, my discipline was in writing for our sales team and, and kind of telling our story. So it was a pretty natural move for me. The thing that I, in the insight, I think that you're, you are articulating is that I knew the problem that our clients were trying to solve because they were asking it in very clear ways in the RFP process and our follow-up interviews and selling conversations. And so I wasn't telling a story for the sake of telling a story in a vacuum, right? I was picking the salient points uh, because I knew what would help other clients through telling the stories of our current clients, you know, solving problems for our prospects by telling the stories of our clients. And so I think that that is huge. And, you know, marketing is is a fascinating discipline, but it it has to be performed or uh, enabled in a way that has a very directed outcome, a very clear outcome. And for us, that line of sight from activity to revenue, from, you know, innovation and storytelling and problem solving to sales success make that's that's what it's all about and so you know sales can't exist for sales sake marketing can't exist for marketing sake people you know hr can't exist for hr sake that holistic view of an organization is just essential for everybody's success and that just became i think something that i didn't even know that i was carrying with me but just became a a, a way of being that i hope that those who don't get those kind of cross departmental experiences we can enable that kind of understanding in a different way. So true. I was watching something on Amazon the other day, but it was based on a true story. And the description was, you know, this is based on a true story. Certain elements have been dramatized, you know, you know, for the effect. And I thought, oh my God, that is the best description of marketing ever. That is how it should be. And, you know, but the storytelling piece is so, so important because the more you're leaning toward nonfiction, rather than fantasy in the storytelling, the closer you are to the customers, the closer they feel that you get them, you know, the more, the quicker your success is too. Well, and it gives context to every data point, every outcome, every, why, why, why do we care? Why does it matter? Why, how does it apply to me? So, you know, that's, that's what stories too. They tell us why, why it matters. Can we form a super league team? Like the, kind of like the justice league or the Avengers, but just, and go out and take care of this everywhere. <laughs> and then I wanted to know if, if just out of curiosity, not to cut Harry off, because I know he has a lot of good questions, but I'm just dying to know this. So when you have these two roles, even though it's, you know, kind of player, coach, customer, you know, marketer, do you rely on really super strong number twos in each department or are you carrying, you know, most of that leadership yourself? Well, I will be honest that we're in a transition year right now. So we're still figuring a lot of that out, but there is no way I think that it's possible to be really effective as, you know, wearing both of those hats without amazing teams. So certainly I have strong leaders. Certainly I've been given the permission to backfill and to augment and to really craft roles that fill gaps because my attention has to be, you know, divided or even just spread a little bit more thin. But you know what is so great about that, too, is just to watch people step into more of themselves and to give, you know, whether if they've been operating in a certain, you know, expectation of what their role is. I've just asked them, hey, you got to blow that up, you know, just 
make some room for yourself and become more of, of the, you know, the best of you. That's what we need. I don't know how to put that in a, you know, five new bullets of a job description on a piece of paper for you, because the beauty of these experiences and the beauty of organizations that will embrace positions that envelop what the company needs or what the clients need is that it's messy and it's, you know, it's going to get figured out while you're on the wall, why you've started the journey. There's no way to sit down and plan for every aspect of it. So if you can live and develop and then define in the ambiguity that's required to be successful anymore, I think that, you know, we all talk about innovating and failing fast and learning quickly. Well, that goes for people too. It's not just products. So we have to have a certain tolerance for that and a strong support system for it because it feels different when it's people. It feels different when somebody says, I stumbled over that a little bit, or that was a little bit messier than I wanted it to be. And to just have you know space for those conversations to happen and then figuring it out together, I think that's where we get to the best places. And, and, and then people, you know, they get to show that, that special something that they've shown up to give in a new way. And that's what I've been experiencing since the, since the change and since, you know, the combination of the roles. You're helping me a lot because one of the things that I've been super passionate about in this role, especially, is the fact that I can finally go speak with teams and leaders of teams and CMOs and say something that we have just forgotten about through the years is how does somebody know if they're doing a good job? We write job descriptions all day long, but we don't ever get to that part. And so kind of just turning the marketing org on its head, no more, you know, you're the website maker, you're the webinar maker, you're the email senders, because, you know, that's just repetitive. How do they know if they're doing, what's their impact? Exactly. And, you know, if we can organize around the problems we're solving instead of the roles we're filling, what we get is a team that says, hey, our clients love it when we do X or, you know, what really hits home is this particular message around the anxiety our clients are feeling around, you know, what to do about the great resignation or, you know, you know, employee engagement and retention and recruiting. All of those things are things that our clients have looked to us and said, hey, OC Tanner, fill in the gap. What is the research? What should we be doing? But I'm not going to say I need everybody with their different specialties. And more importantly, I call it their different smarts around the table because they think differently because of the discipline that they've been trained in. So I've got some very analytical thinkers. I've got some very creative thinkers. I've got very process-oriented thinkers. I've got, you know, free-form, big blue sky idea makers. And we need everybody there because it's got to go all the way through the funnel. It's got to be true for everyone. And so if we can just focus on the problem we're trying to solve instead of which discipline should be focused on that, you know, web's going to bring something, ABM's going to bring something, demand something and they're going to all have their own ideas which is then even the more magical thing they feel great autonomy in being able to say this is what i think we should do not i've done what you've told me to do and our jobs get crazy different when people are at that level of contribution absolutely when we remember why we hired them in the first place exactly yeah and they remember the joy of why they chose the profession they did Oh, mic drop. All right. Just end it right there. That was it. That, was... <laughs> <laughs> that is a great mic drop moment right there. And something that's really struck me about all your answers in the last conversation is just how everything's circled back to being customer centric, whether it's 
you talking about what made you successful in your first marketing role. It was, you know, working on those RFPs and knowing what customers want and what their problems are, whether it's in your current role and you're actually living in the shoes of your customer and that's helping you be a more effective leader and marketer or whether it's the way you organize the team and organize the role. It's all about how can we best serve our customers and how can we best solve their problems. So I really love all of those answers and just bringing it all back to, again, how can we best serve our customers? And I think that's a great segue into our next topic. I would love, Mindy, if you could tell us a little bit more about your guiding principles as a leader. We like to say who you are is how you lead. So we'd love to hear about your guiding principles and your leadership style. Sure, that who you are is how you lead is a, you know, a Brene Brown nugget mic drop moment from her. And that is a quote I actually keep on the wall in my office because I think it's true. And, you know, I think, Carrie, what you were talking about before about being client centric, it's really about the superpower of empathy. And I think no matter what discipline you work in, no matter what type of team you lead, when you have an ability to really see something through to the end of how people who you have responsibility for, who you care for, who you love, who you gather and make promises to, will experience a decision you're making or you know a change that you're championing, that empathy is everything. And really being able to, you know, from then from a client perspective, say, and that's going to change by, you know, the goals that a client has. How are they going to see this solution that we're offering them? The healthcare vertical is going to be different than the financial vertical because they they care about outcomes here and they care about outcomes there. The solution might be the same, but our message is going to be very different. And so this who you are is how you market. It's how you lead. It's how you show up. So particularly for us at OC Tanner, we're talking about deep culture change for organizations. We're talking about organizations that are serious about enabling their people to thrive at work. So if you are not a place that actually lives that, if we are not a place where people come to show up every day and find deep joy in each other, in the work they do, and in the people we serve, in the clients that we serve, we cannot offer that really authentically. And so our commitment to being a Fortune 100 best place to work, to being a, you know, 95 years now as a premier employer in our market and, you know, really having a very different employee experience for our own people has a lot to do with what we're trying to accomplish through our business purpose. Because when clients call us, I don't care if it's into a recipient experience team or it's to our CEO, they have to feel what they want to become by partnering with us. And so we're just one person deep, really. I mean, global company, you know, 95 year history, it doesn't matter. It matters who's on the phone with you or, you know, whatever they're reading and how they feel about it or that meeting with that salesperson or, you know, the email that they receive from us that's talking about a solution that's deeply personal to them in that moment. They have to feel that we already have solved that problem for ourselves. And so, you know, we, we don't want to paint a vision for some, a journey that we haven't already been on. That's, you just described my job and I, that's why I love it. So I was just sitting here thinking that is why I love my job so much, you know, because I spend half my time talking with, I don't care if you're a prospect or a customer, you're a marketer, you know, I'm a marketer, you are, and I have been where you're sitting 
let me tell you where the traps are, what to avoid, you know, a little therapy session and just give you what I've learned that you're not going to find in white papers or eBooks. You know, it's just, it's just human to human knowledge. And they are the most rewarding conversations that I have apart from, you know, the kids, but they they really are. Cause I feel like even if nothing comes from it at all from a customer, like we don't make any extra money, that's fine. I don't care. I made an impact on them and it's just so hard to quantify when you want to turn around and report back. And that's where I think the hamster wheel comes back. Sometimes you're like, all right, now how do I shrink it down into a spreadsheet? You cannot quantify connection. You know, at the end of the day, people are going to buy from brands, from people, from companies they feel connected to. We have to find ways to make those connections happen. And it is going to be one-to-one. It is going to be through those conversations. Well, Becky was just sharing her experience of how satisfying those conversations are with clients where you're just exchanging value. You know, here's my experience. Here's what I've learned. I've been on a road you're about to embark on. Let me just help you kind of see some of the potholes that are surely ahead. And you know what, if I could help somebody avoid them, I want to do that. We just, we love to serve. We love to give back, but all of that is in the name of connection and, you know, really helping others succeed. And at the end of the day, that's what every brand, every product's all about, right? We all do it in different little ways, but we just, we want our clients to succeed. And so the idea that we have to quantify every, you know, aspect of our marketing journey or our sales journey is just a falsehood. You can't quantify connection, but you you feel it and you know it and buyers act on it. I think maybe even in the face of data that would direct them otherwise. So let's just value it equally and let's have a conversation about anecdotal this and this meeting we really connected about that and you know maybe you ought to know as much about your client's family as you do about their business and that can be an important touch point i so agree and i don't know if i'm biased or not probably but it's my opinion is that marketers are probably the most loyal customers when they feel like they have that connection with someone I know I've stayed tried and true to so many people, regardless of where they worked or what they did. If they left and went somewhere else, I trusted that that was a good decision. And I went and checked out why, what was better about it, you know? And I mean, this is time and time again, across the board. Are we like that? Are we we special or (laughs) are other groups the same way? I think that we recognize the importance of relationship. And I think at the end of the day, It's about whether you're a leader or a function leader or, you know, fulfilling a role in a company, we enter relationship and there's, there's good relationship, there's bad relationship, there's, you know, a journey in the relationship. And so when we follow people or when we, you know, make an effort to understand their decisions, I think it's just indicative of how deep that relationship is. And hopefully you feel compelled. Because then you're going, wow, I, I actually I care about staying connected to that person. It wasn't because of who they were in a certain company. It's because of them. It's, be, it's because we had an authentic connection. And I guess we all do kind of share that same special bond of being the only department in a company that everybody else is an expert in but you, you know, because we've had we've all had those moments where it's just so good to talk to somebody who when you're talking about your metrics, your results, or your campaigns or whatever, you know, they understand what you're saying <laughs> and, you know, all of it, they've been there. So that, that familiarity is something I don't think you can't, you can't fake that. 
I agree. And, you know, I think the other reality of that, and this comes from the CPO side as well, is just if people were rational decision makers, we wouldn't need HR. We would need a handbook. We would need, you know, a list of things to do. But you can't, you know, there's a fascinating, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but there's a fascinating book that talks about the fact that computers are unable to model a chess match, like more than, I don't know what it is, 10 or 12 moves in. Because inevitably, a player makes an irrational decision. It's not the most strategic decision. That happens with buyers. That happens with employees. That happens with leaders. And so, one, it's great job security, whether you're on the people side or the marketing side. But two, it can be maddening if you think you can solve for it. So you, you have to kind of embrace the fact that we're, gonna, we're going to tell our story we're going to show value. We're going to make sure that we have empathy about the problems that they're trying to solve and how we give them line of sight to how we help them solve those problems. And then we're going to just allow for a little bit of humanity, a little bit of human irrationality to enter that equation. And sometimes that's going to be very rewarding. It's And maybe it's because of relationship. Maybe it's because of connection that either they can articulate, a buyer can articulate, or they can't. And sometimes that's going to be disappointing where we look at all the facts and figures on the page. And of course, they should have chosen us. It makes no sense what they just did. But I think you get closer to it, Becky, when you you can most often, I believe, solve for that by looking at depth of relationship, depth of understanding. And I think, you know, if, if you're trying to weed out or solve for every variable in a buying situation or an employee situation, it's impossible. But relationships can help bridge the gap in a lot of situations. Can I go back to something you said earlier, which you just, it struck me just now with your customers, you know, they have to be, you know, willing to be a certain way. They have to have that end result in mind, right? What about companies that are looking for that technology fix? You know, do you guys have red flags where you are just, we're not a good fit? Absolutely. And, you know, I think the smartest companies know who they're great for and who they're not great for, because that's a doomed relationship from the start. It's funny. This is a long time ago in my career, but I was consulting with a, a furniture company and uh, they did office furniture. I know it seems so random. It'll tie in, I promise. Give me one second. But they, they were kind of in this era of Silicon Slopes was putting in all the ping pong tables and the foosball and the orange chairs and the squishy this and the balls that everybody was sitting on. And it was kind of this, you know, I call it cultural theater in companies thought it was going to fix for employee engagement. And they came to me and they said, we need you to come talk to our clients because they think this orange chair is going to fix their culture problem. And they come back to us six months later and they say, people still aren't happy. The furniture doesn't work. And we say, <laughs> we say it's the chair. We sold you a chair. Like, does, can they sit on the chair? Can they move the chair? Is the chair too heavy? Is the chair ergonomically incorrect? Like, there's not a problem with the product. The problem is with the problem that the client was trying to solve. They're trying to solve employee engagement, and this company's selling furniture. So when we're not aligned in what we're trying to accomplish, you know, I don't care how whiz-bang your platform is or how slick your tech is and whatever widget you've got going. If your customer isn't solving the same problem that you're after, it's just a mismatch from the start. And so having those, you know, conversations about 
for us, what looks like deep partnership, you know, and what is it that you hope to see changed? And sometimes we'll get companies that say, you know, we know we're supposed to do employee recognition. We've read that it's really people, it makes people happy. Okay. What is it that you'd like to recognize? Well, just, we just want to give people recognition. Well, the best and most effective forms of recognition recognize behaviors in your organization that lead to great business outcomes and everybody's experiencing success. So what are the behaviors in your organization or what are the things that you'd like to inspire? What are you things that you want to see more of? We don't know. We've never talked about that. What do you mean? We just need people to do more. And so if, if an organization isn't willing to invest the time to get very clear about the outcomes and they want a quick fix from any type of product, I think it's, you know, they're just setting themselves up for disappointment. So part of the difference that OC Tanner tries to make in, is what we call culture by design, being very intentional about what you want the outcomes to be and all of the pre-work and clarity that has to occur before that. And then our products become enablers in that journey. But we can't get you all the way there if you haven't even decided what you want to be. So those are those are important and strategic conversations for for even, you know, from a marketing standpoint to just say, are you ready for the change that you want to see? Because it's going to require some work that's outside of the product. Absolutely. And it goes back to the whole notion, too, of how do you know if you're doing a good job? How do you know if you're doing a good job? If you can't actually articulate what you want to highlight. It's because you never defined success. You never defined good, you know, and, and that's, that's the Achilles heel right there. I mean, people can do all of the great work in the world, but if you don't recognize it as great, or if they don't know how to make it, you know, talk about its impact somewhere, it feels like that's when everything just goes and it's all, you know, it's everybody for themselves. Basically, everybody's looking for a door to jump on because the ship's going down. Right. And, you know, we've said it like this before, too. You, you have leaders who say, I need great work. I need to see some great work. And then you have employees saying, is this great work? Is that great work? Is this And a leader saying, not that? Go go pick up another rock. You know, no, not that rock. Go pick up another rock. That's where disengagement happens. That's where, you know, people go, I can't play this game anymore. You know, I, I feel like I'm giving you everything I've got and you don't even know what success looks like. So we, we owe that I to our teams every day, every day. And I see it more, I would say middle line managers, you know, who are coming to us, they're talking to us a lot and they, they know what they need to accomplish, but they don't feel empowered enough to have the conversation that our metrics need to change. You know, we're going to be doing things differently. Our outcomes are going to change. We're going to have greater outcomes, but to get there, the path is now different. And so they're struggling with, well, how do I still report the old stuff, but do the new stuff? And I'm just, my heart breaks for them because I'm, you're volunteering to double your workload rather than, you know, feeling like you can have that conversation back with your boss or your boss's boss to say, hey, whoa, 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 you know, these, these KPIs don't align to the path that we're taking. Here's what we should be measuring. And it's, and it really is just heartbreaking sometimes because, you know, they have the best intentions, they have the best skills, they know exactly where they need to go, but they're stuck. Well, and what, a, what an interesting situation to be in. One, I would hope that they work in an organizational culture where they can approach a leader and say, I know that metric used to be important. I just think we're in a different space right now. Here's what I would suggest. 
you know, that we measure. And it's not because I don't want to live into it. It's because I don't think it tells us what we need to know to be who we need to be. So, you know, in some of those instances, if the if the leader is very rigid because it's kind of their metric and it's been the thing that they've hung their hat on for a long time, I, I'll coach them to keep two sets of books. You know, what what are the metrics that matter to your leader? What are the metrics you think matter? And then let's show, you know, where can we demonstrate kind of line of sight to revenue or line of sight to conversion or line of sight to pipeline? And then there's a business case. There's actually something that says, this is why this used to work. Here's why it doesn't anymore. Here's what I think works now. And by the way, I've been testing it. And I think this is what you want. So are you cool if we measure it this way going forward? And almost always that's, you know, it, it is about helping our leaders see things in a different way. And we all get comfortable with what made us successful in the past. And we all in our mouths say, we know that's not what's going to make us successful going forward, but ooh, it feels super uncomfortable to try something new. So if you're really going to add value and you don't feel like you have permission to make those changes, I would say, you know, whether it's just for you or it's, you know, it's, it's blessed in your team, keep, do what you know is right and demonstrate that as, you know, a story that you need to tell for, for the way that you want to operate, the way you want to measure success. Great advice. That's actually what I did as the customer a few times to get people on board. I just kind of sidewinded, you know, for a while and just let it roll. And I watched and giggled and said, yeah, that's about right. That's what I thought. And then presented and still, you know, nope. All right, we'll come back again. <laughs> Just don't give up too. You know, if, if you're right, if you know it's the path, you know, just keep pushing too. Yeah. It's, I think oftentimes we go, nope, they said no and just walk away. We're really looking at this right now. And I, I'm sure, you know, I, I imagine this is happening with other B2B um, clients that you serve as well. But for us, our buyer's totally changing. You know, we used to have persona research on the middle level manager, the decision maker, the program administrator, the CHRO. Well, guess what? We're dealing with a committee of CFOs, CIOs, CTOs. You know, I mean, it's the buyer is totally different. And to sell to a committee that then passes off to an implementation team that then passes off to, you know, that is a woo, that's a completely different journey for us to really understand and map. And then, okay, how do we create connection at each one of those levels? How do we demonstrate value for each one of those stakeholders? It's a more complex sell. Is it just me or have you noticed the CFOs of today a lot more involved in the business across? I met with one yesterday, you know, from demand base, but it's, I remember when I started my career, I couldn't have told you what the CFO looked like. I just assumed it was a suit with a lot of computers or something, spreadsheets everywhere, had no ideas, name, nothing. But now, I mean, I'm finding that I'm talking with them on a regular basis. They're really digging in. They want to understand the business. It's like a new generation of CFOs and a whole new way of thinking. I think it has a lot to do with at least just my guesstimate. I think it has a lot to do with an executive team mentality right? We're stewards of investment in the company. And I, I am, the CFO is the specialty I bring to the group, but I certainly pull on the specialties within my executive team very liberally because I know what I don't know. And I need the way that you think on this team or the way that you think on this committee. And so I think, yay, for CFOs who just aren't said, you know, go account and, you know, make sure all the numbers come out and don't get, you know, do great mm -hmm. on the audit to saying, you know, be stewards of the investments that our companies are making, understand the budget needs of each department. We have great 
finance partners that will say, well, what is it? Again, what does success look like for your team? Let's set you up with a budget that's going to be aligned to the outcomes that you're looking for this year. It, they are great partners. And I think that they think uh, about the business in a more holistic way than perhaps they ever have. Seems like the theme of our entire conversation has been a lot about, you know, understanding where we're going, like have a destination in mind, you know, and then using those connections to get there. Because, you know, just the same way you described your C-suite is the same way, exactly the same way you just described your team. And well, I, I, I love it's the that. Most, it's the most fun way to work, right? And, yeah. and you know, things are changing so quickly and, you know, Pandemic aside, which was just a massive reset for everyone, and thankfully it was kind of an equal opportunity disruptor. Yeah. But <laughs> I think, you know, when when we think that we can solve the big problem in one leap, it's just, it, it's unrealistic and it's it's just fraught with disappointment. But as a team, whether it's your immediate team or your executive team or your board or whatever it is, if we can say, to your point, Becky, when we can say this is where we're going, we believe that this is where we need to get and why. And we don't know all the things that we're going to need to do to get there. But here's the here's the one or two things that are the next right things to do. That's something I talk to my team a lot about. We're, we don't know all the things, but the next right thing to do is this. And then when we get there, we're going to pick the next right thing to do. But our eye is always chosen a destination. We always know where we're going. And it's okay if we don't know all the steps it's going to take to get there. We know the first one. I, I'm not so in love with this conversation. Can we do, can we have a, like a quarterly podcast or something here? Can we set that up? This, this is a conversation I think that needs to definitely continue. I'm learning a lot and I love that. Super fun. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah, no, thank you. I think this has been an amazing conversation. I know I learned a lot as well. I'm sure our listeners will too. So really appreciate you dropping so much knowledge today. This is amazing. I have a few rapid fire questions for you before we round out today's episode. Just a couple of things that I think will be useful for our listeners. So curious to hear if there's a book blog, newsletter, website, something like that, that you would recommend our listeners check out? Oh, I'm always on the hunt for like the next thing that's going to sort of change the way that I think about the world. So when it comes to books, I have to say, I just finished My Life in Full by Indra Nui, and she she gets it. Like, of course, her radical success would be evidence of that, but she totally gets it, has a great perspective on both business as a finance brilliant mind and a marketer and person who actually took into account the common sense for how to bring some things to market. And the stories she tells in that book are just so thought provoking. And then, you know, I, I actually personally just, I love a book called The Law of Divine Compensation by Marianne Williamson. And it's just about how everything's going to come full circle and what you put in, you get out. And I just don't think that there's, and I think if anything, we've learned over the last couple of years, there's not that much separation between the principles that rule our lives and the principles that rule our business and the things that motivate our clients and customers and the things that move our employees. And, you know, people are moved by purpose and they're moved by an understanding of just how circular and interconnected everything is. And that's just a book that always, you know, just resets that for me. Those both sound great. I'm definitely going to check those out. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I am going to go straight to Amazon right after this call and order both of those because those both sound really great. 
Cool. Well, thanks for the recommendations. Really appreciate it. Uh, next question would be three people in B2B tech or go-to-market leaders that you would recommend we bring on the show. Okay. So this is volunteering people without knowing they've been volunteered. Is that right? That's what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> I have just met a woman named Christy Knight. She is the CMO of a tech company called InMoment. She has a fantastic approach to innovation at her company that I am just desperate to learn from. So I would appreciate you doing a conversation with her so that I can learn more than I did over our lunch together. That would be fantastic. And Christy has a great background in tech. She's brought, you know, come up through a few very successful startups and in moments, her, her most recent um, gig. The, the other gentleman that I have met recently, and they're not related, but they share a last name, is Kevin Knight. Um, and he's currently the CMO of a company called Vita. And uh, he just has a, he's someone that we interviewed, quite honestly, for my position. And uh, he just gets it. He understands customers. He understands difference making. He understands purpose in the world. Uh, he's smart. And uh, the way that he is kind of adapted to getting his team's hybrid remote work and, you know, reaching their customers together has just been fascinating for me to listen to him talk about that. So um, he's one I would reach out to. And then probably the third is my mentor. I mean, the gentleman who's retiring, his name is David Sturt. And one of the differences that he made at OC Tanner was to bring in this idea of an independent institute for thought. So our IP is now, you know, PhD level, academic grade IP. And that's something that you would think, gosh, is that really worth investing in? Is that something that, you know, we ought to be hiring people to do pure research? But because our purpose is to help people thrive, we have to know what's holding them back. We have to know what they're experiencing now. And there were some very fractured and sometimes self-serving studies done by other organizations. And we wanted the pure research to know our, you know, to understand the problems we're trying to solve in a better light. And that's been a long journey. I think David spent the last 15 years, you know, expressing his vision, standing up that team, um, making it into something now where that that is almost the number one reason that our client's site of wanting to partner with us is to be close to the work of the Institute and our researchers there. It just makes them better. And they don't have their own team of, you know, employee sentiment, employee experience people that are doing monthly surveys and telling them, here's what's coming, be ready for this. And so the fact that we can help them, we can add some value by being out in front of the problems or the challenges or the what matters most to their people and, and giving them those kind of insights has been something that's made telling our stories and marketing infinitely easier because the data is there and we're discovering stories along the way. And it's become, because of the way it was stood up, it's it's just such a trusted resource for our clients. Based on true stories. Based on true, based on fact, not even dramatized. Usually there's enough no. drama in there. That's the truth, right? <laughs> <laughs> now I need to go read up on some of these studies because, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called the Global yeah. Culture Report and you're welcome to download it. And it. Um, yeah, every year I used to call it when I was exclusively in HR, I called it my Bible because it would be dog-eared and it was like, here's what we're doing this year. Here's what the roadmap for our team looks like because here's, 
here's all the truth that's on the table. And these are the things we need to be responding to. You got to find the work. And if we can help people find the work that's hidden in people, you know, then you're helping uh, organizations progress. Another t-shirt. Okay. I'm writing all of these down. This is so good. <laughs> I, didn't, work. I didn't know it. Oh, so I love that. I'm proud of that. Yeah, I love that. And thank you for the recommendations. They all three sound like incredible leaders. And Christine, happy to share Kevin, contacts David, if you need them. Yeah. You'll be hearing from us. <laughs> Sorry, what'd you say, Mindy? Happy to share contacts if you need them. They're great. Yes, definitely. Love you volunteering them up. I think they're pretty much locked in at this point. <laughs> so yeah, Christy, Kevin, David, you'll be hearing from us for sure. And last question I have for you, Mindy, is how can people get connected with you after this podcast? Because I'm sure after listening to you today, they're going to be wanting more. So what's the best way for people to get connected to well, you? Well, I hope that they want to because I need I need all the learning I can get. I just I'm super curious. I want to learn and understand from from great people who are passionate about their work. So LinkedIn's my best place. Just look me up on LinkedIn, M-I-N-D-I-C-O-X. And I would love to connect with you there. And you can find my a, a link to my email there as well. And I'm, I'm pretty responsive. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much for the time today. Really, really appreciate you joining. Thank you, Becky, as well. Really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure oh, our listeners love it as well. Without a doubt. Yes. And my <laughs> thanks as well. I, I feel like I just had a crash course in humanity. I love it. Thank you. You all are great. Appreciate everything you're doing for us. Thanks. Of course. Thanks, Mindy. Thanks. Again, really appreciate you being on our show. Bye. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.